Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Trent McWicket is lonely on the lead. He's up by four on the outside. Don't tell me again, cutting into the margin. But it's McWicket four years later back at the top of the sport. Homicide Hunter who sweeps past to the outside. Homicide Hunter trying to get into the finish. It's Homicide Hunter who will hit the line. 148 and 4, the fastest trotter ever. Dewey did some good down the boulevard of broken dreams. Walker Meister coming at him. Walker Meister on the outside getting the best of him. Walker Meister in front. Giddy up. Three wide, all bets off. They're at the top of the stretch. Rockin' Ron turns first in the Battle of Lake Erie. On the outside, bit of a legend. Rockin' Ron, bit of a legend. On the outside, bit of a legend. This year's battle champion, 23 and 1. Homeward bound in Gold Cup and Soccer, 59. Somewhere, Penty, rockin' in heaven. Rose Run West is there. Here Fine. Twinkle takes aim in the passing lane. Now Caviard Alley in full gear outside. Shark start a feeling. Caviard Alley all out. Sharton digging deep. Sharton's gonna dig in here and get the win here. Sharton up on the front end. Then none shall pass for Tim Dietrich. Giddy up. You're tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike with co-host Mike Carter. Foiled again! Hold on to win! Foiled again, tough as nails! And Mike Bozich. The Iron Horse has cemented his legacy! Giddy up! Go Justin Bell, another Thursday rendition of Hope Time with Hype and Mike, presented by the United States Product Association and uh, Ben America, live from the USDA studios in Columbus. And Mike, I tell you what, man, what a great show we have coming up uh, this afternoon. You know what? It's so cold, hitchhikers are holding up pictures of their thumbs. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I don't know how we've been able to deal with it the last couple of days. I left the house this morning. It was negative four with a negative 19 wind chill. So that's yeah. pretty cold. That, that is definitely pretty cold. And, uh, you know, listen, we're going to get this show started right away. We're going to bring in Dave Brower. And, Dave, listen, I wanted to bring you in because there's uh, one person that in this cold weather that I am really, really thinking about. The temperatures got down to a, a miserable uh, upper 50s last night. Our man Gabe Pruitt down there. Dave, how is Gabe Pruitt surviving <laughs> this uh, polar vortex down there? You know what? I don't really know, guys. It's probably because he does all that tweeting, so he keeps his fingers moving so they don't freeze. But, Carter, as for you, I'm just glad your car started. I'm looking forward to, uh, after I hang up with you guys uh, and, and listen to Wally Hennessy and Brady Galliers a little bit, I'm going to take the trek out to the car and hope that mine starts because i got to get to my other job this afternoon as well. It's funny you say that because uh, yesterday uh, when I left, of course, I, I stay with uh, my fiance's mom uh, currently. So I, the car was in the garage. No problem. Started no problem. At uh, the end of the day, I left, went to go leave work yesterday, and it had the hardest time starting. So uh, good luck. That's all i got to tell you. <laughs> well, you know what? You cheated. You have a garage. I don't have that in my <laughs> massive apartment complex. But I've been peeking out the window at everybody else that had to go to work uh, this morning early on. So far, I haven't seen any any uh, you know uh, tow trucks to try and come and jump people. So maybe maybe I've got a chance. I've got it parked uh, in the sunshine. So we'll see, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. On a more serious note, uh, certainly, you know, thoughts and prayers to the people in Chicago and in the Midwest. Boy, they are really undergoing some tough, tough stuff. You know, uh, just a couple of stats, guys, on actually how cold it is in Chicago. It was actually warmer, quite a bit warmer in one of the U.S. stations in Antarctica. 
That's how cold Chicago was. <laughs> and here's and, and, and here's another one. It was actually warmer on planet Mars than it was in Chicago. Wow. There you go. Wow. Uh, you know, Incredible. I've seen the pictures of the river freezing out there. I don't think I've ever seen that before. But the, the, even, the even better picture was that the uh, transportation authority out there, they had to light those uh, train tracks on fire just so that the uh, L could keep moving. So definitely uh, something that we've uh, never witnessed in our lifetime before. Yeah, I mean, absolutely crazy. Well, listen, we got a great show on tap for everybody today. Of course, our first guest has already joined us because, and we wanted to bring him in early because we know he's going to spend the next hour or so uh, defrosting his car out there and uh, out there with the beautiful ice scraper and, uh, you know, some of the stuff we have to put up here on the East Coast and that people like Gabe Pruitt don't have to worry about down in sunny Florida. But listen, Dave, we brought you on. We want to talk a little bit about handicapping. And, uh, you know, part of handicapping uh, the Meadowlands is the cold weather you know in the winter time you see the cold weather it's it's a part of life it's prominent and it does have effect on horses and you know what it can have an effect on your handicapping so dave i'll ask you do we adjust our handicapping during the cold winter months and if so how well, it's not even just during the winter, Mike. You should always be adjusting your handicapping based on what the races are showing you and the way the drivers are proceeding. I mean, you can always tell uh, when it's windy at the Meadowlands because you see a lot less movement during the middle part of the race. And, uh, you know, when we're on between races uh, after the post parade there with our little chit-chat, we always try to keep everybody clued in as to the weather conditions, as to the how you know how, how big of a factor the wind is you know what the temperature is overall and uh, whether or not we perceive any bias i want to give a little shout out and credit to uh, our track superintendent ryan naperla he's had the track in just unbelievable condition so far this winter whether it's been windy snowy rainy etc you know we've had so many sloppy track cards on those saturday nights so great job by him and his team and i'm sure that will continue uh, when we go to the gate friday night tomorrow night it won't be as bad as it is now. We just hope the wind isn't as big of a factor. Now, Dave, how important is it to have the track crew that you guys do? Obviously, the tracks that race during the winter months, you know, they have to be able to have a track crew that can kind of keep the track going. But one big thing is being able to remove the bias. And I'll give you an example. I think you were at Hoosier Park a couple of years ago for the Breeders' Crown. And a track bias kind of started to develop. And within two races, they had that bias completely wiped out of there. How important is it to have a, 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 a good track crew? Well, first of all, it's, it's uber mega important. At the Meadowlands, we've been blessed with some of the greatest guys that have ever done the job. Bobby Ashelman years ago, Gary Wolf, who then went to Hoosier for a little while, and he's now back uh, with us in New Jersey down at White Birch Farm. These guys know what they're doing. And Ryan, you know, tutored under these guys and have been watching them for years. Uh, they've got different things they can do, you know, uh, depending upon how cold it is. You know, they've got graders. You know, they can grade it hard. They can grade it soft. They can make it a little deeper. They can make it a little faster. It's all uh, up to them. And trust me, they're watching the races too. So, uh, you know, they're paying attention. And if they see, you know, a couple of guys, you know, winning on the front end with ease, then they may, uh, you know, deepen it up a little bit. Visiting with Dave Brower from the Meadowlands. Now, Dave, uh, you guys have a little bit of a different wagering uh, schedule over the past couple of weeks. Now, you guys have, uh, have added in the doubles. It's every other race. How does that seem to be going? And honestly, if we're playing, they're, they're not technically rolling doubles, but if we're playing the doubles throughout the card, is there any kind of strategy that maybe how we can structure our double tickets? Well, it, it's sort of like doing your homework. You guys both, you know, you handicap a whole card before you show up at the track or you turn on your computer and your uh, ADW system, and then you, you, you find your spots. I mean, at the Meadowlands on the weekends, you know, th there are some uber, ultra-tough competitive races, and those are hard to play, I'm going to be honest with you, unless you think you have an edge or, and have a price. So if you find those two or three spots on any given card, then you try to decide the best way to make some money. You know, is, is it in the doubles? I mean, can, can a long shot win the race before or the race after your key play? Uh, if you can, you know, identify those key spots uh, and you're right, you know, then you're going to get paid off. There, there's no doubt about it, whether you're simply a win better, whether you're an exact better, or whether you're, you know, a horizontal player, you know, in those uh, pick fours and pick fives and things like that. You can make a score. The problem is you have to be right, and that's not so easy. 
Now, Dave, one thing I noticed is kind of heat things up at the Meadowlands and heat it up a little bit is the driver colony that's out there. Um, you, these are guys that you don't normally see on a regular basis. Some of them come in from Freehold. Uh, Kyle Husted's into town as well. Uh, how does that kind of play into your handicapping style, especially when you don't get to see these drivers uh, that, that often? Well, I see them often because I do, you know, follow some of the other circuits and I know what their strengths are. And I like to, you know, try and figure out, you know, guys that don't make, let, let's, let's call it stupid moves. You know, guys, when they have a horse that's a legitimate contender, they put the horse in play. And then guys, you know, that have a long shot, you know, they, they, they drive them accordingly. They're sitting in, they're saving ground. They're trying to shake loose late. I mean, the perfect guy for that is Eric Carlson. We call him the king of the long shots here because that's exactly what he does. He brings home a lot of long shot winners. He drives smart is the best way to put it. You know, if he's got a horse from the outside that figures, you know, he'll leave out of there and try and find a hole. If he's got a 30 to one shot that drew post one or post two, well, he's glued to the pylons. And if he shakes free and the horse has some pace, you know, he'll usually pick up a check. Sometimes he gets lucky and wins a race like that too. But we've got lots of good competitive guys. It's a good colony. Um, you know, Vinny Ginsburg, you talked about Kyle Husted. He had a nice run here about a month or so ago when he had his horses all classified right now. They've kind of been over their head. We even had, you know, one of the Jimmy Tactor protégés, Joe Fonseca, with a horse making his second start up from Florida, wired the field last week at 8-1. to one. So, you know, pay attention, uh, take notes, uh, adjust for biases, and uh, recognize drivers who, you know, have particular strategies. We know Yannick is always aggressive. We know Andy Miller is always aggressive. So that's how you, you know, you plot out a race and you try to pick a winner. Dave, one final question. We're going to, we're going to get away from the handicapping for just a second, because this is a question that I get asked all the time. And I think it's a good question, especially for maybe a lot of the people that, uh, you know, are, are kind of strictly on the wagering side and don't really, uh, you know, know too much about the inner workings of a racetrack. When it gets too cold, when the decision is on the bubble, maybe to cancel a card or not cancel a card, where you may think it's too cold, or you may think that, you know, the because of the cold and the warm, a lot of times in such a short period of time, you know, you lose the track or whatever. What are some of the behind-the-scenes things that go on when we get to a point to where we decide if we're going to cancel a card or not? Well, it's a lot of communication probably between our general manager, Jason Settlemore, and the track crew, Brian Ryland Naperla. I've been in Jason's office when he's called Ryan and said, how's my track? What do we think? You know, and then he'll get an honest assessment, and then he'll make a decision. You know, we're in no danger of canceling this weekend. I mean, had, if we had scheduled a racing night tonight, I think we would have been in danger. But it'll be up into the 20s by, uh, you know, post time tomorrow night, and that'll be fine. Then it's supposed to warm up over the weekend. So it's, it's constant communication. It's uh, constant, you know, work on the surface uh, by our guys, and they're the best at what they do. So we trust them to give, uh, you know, to give the correct information, and then the right decision is made. It's a difficult one sometimes, especially when it's going to snow. But, you know, we had that Saturday night card a couple of weeks ago. We got the card in, all 14 races, and, you know, everybody got home safe, and that's really all you can ask. Now, I heard, Dave, uh, through the grapevine, of course, that uh, that you made Dave Little make a Twitter. Is that is that anywhere close to true? <laughs> it, it, it is it is it is close to true. Now, I, I coaxed him and teased him and, and tried to get him to do it. And when we would sit at the set together and remember, we're, we're stuck at that desk all night. So, you know, we've got a lot of time there in between races. I would show him exactly how much fun it could be i'd say you know here's this tweet from this guy he put up his pick four ticket or he wants to know what we think about this horse in the 10th race you know pictures uh you know our, our lisa photo uh you know pictures that we send out jessica otten of course is on board now she sends out all the results and a couple of trivia questions and pictures and things like that so it can be a lot of fun it can be a little time consuming too but that's okay we got that kind of time between races and we uh, we enjoy doing it Dave has picked up the ball, and I think he's uh, having a good time, although he might not admit it. My social media, let me tell you, is very, very important nowadays. And, and Dave, you guys do a heck of a job at it. You can follow uh, him at it's E.E. Doogie, right? That is correct, E.E. Doogie. E. Doogie was taken, so I had to add the extra E. <laughs> All right. So make sure, you, make sure you follow Dave on Twitter. You can also follow Dave on Facebook. And, of course, uh, the Meadowlands, Jess Gotten, they all are very, very busy on social media. Well, Dave, listen, we'll let you get out to the cold. Listen, it's so cold, even property taxes are frozen by your place. So listen <laughs> 
Did you did you think up those two jokes all night, or did you just wake up and they came to you? No, I got. Listen, I got the screen right in front of me with all of these it's so cold jokes. So I'll be going. I'll be cycling through them throughout the day. But there's a lot of lame ones on here, so I'm not gonna go through them all. But listen, Dave, appreciate it, buddy. Stay warm. All right. You guys take care. We'll see you soon. All right. All right. That was uh, Dave Brower and uh, interesting stuff, Mike. You know, and here's one of the things about this time of year, like like right now. Outside, it's obviously zero. You've had a couple right. of days of sub-zero weather. But, you know, where the where races, I think, become really susceptible to being canceled is when one day it's zero and the next day it's 50. Yeah, that, that's where the... That that's where the real that's where the real problems kind of lie in, especially Mike. If you get snow or rain kind of mixed in the day or so before, because what happens is is when they come out, they got to of course they plow the racetrack and what have you. But sometimes they mix some of that snow with the mm-hmm. uh, stone dust underneath, and so what happens is you get that big thaw, and you know that that's where tracks become really susceptible to cancellations and things of that sort. Kind of like what we're gonna feel. Uh, Sunday and Monday around here, it's supposed to be 50 or 50 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. That's about the same thing here. It's supposed to over the weekend, it's supposed to get up to 50. So, uh, you know, just got to keep an eye on that. And listen, the track crews, boy, I'll tell you what they, I would not want to have to do their job for anything because uh, it's, it's tough when you get when that cold weather and you got to, you know, mix that material in to keep the track from frozen from freezing. And then you get the 40, 50, 60 degrees, by the way, Speaking of frozen, I've noticed over the last couple of days that the Northfield Park track condition is actually listed as frozen. I have not seen that on I've a hardest track ever in my life. Never have I seen that, ever. Never have I seen that. And uh, I actually asked uh, the charter about that, and that was just kind of something they, uh, they, something they went with. All right. Very interesting. Well, listen, we really didn't have a chance to set up this show. We've got a great show coming up. Wally Hennessy's in the on deck circle. We're going to uh, talk to Wally about his 10,000th career driving win that uh, he just accomplished just a couple of days ago down to the winter capital of harness racing, Pompano Park. Plus, Brady Galliers, uh, driver Brady Galliers will be joining us at the top of the hour. A lot of things we want to talk to him about. And we'll also be talking to Eric Abatello. He'll be joining us. He's got a interesting little thing he's got going on at freehold uh coming up uh, i believe on the 11th uh, a, a week from saturday so we'll talk to him about that and much much more we got post time with mike and mike presented by bet america we'll be back in just a minute at bet america we don't do promotions only for new players as a regular player at betamerica.com you can take advantage of several promotions each week go to betamerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks it's just another reason why it's time to play the bet america way new vocations resource adoption program retrain rehab rehome New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the barn. 
We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. And Mike, I'll tell you what, our next guest, we, we've been full of first timers uh, over the past couple of weeks, but I'll tell you what, this next guest is a special one indeed. Yeah, no question about it. Just got his 10,000th driving win down at uh, Pompano Park, the winter capital of harness racing. He's been down there for many years. He's been the leading driver down there for many years. Without further ado, let's bring in our good friend Wally Hennessy. Wally, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm here, boys. 10.30, you said, and I called it 10.29. I was on time. Oh, that's beautiful, buddy. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate you doing that. And first of all, are you are you handling this polar vortex well? Uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, down, he- down here we are in kind of a different type of weather down here as well, but uh, not near what you guys are facing up there. That's crazy what you guys are dealing with there now. Well, listen, you got to tell Mr. Bromley to make sure he bundles up when he's down at the uh, Tiki Bar down there every night on the on the banks of uh, the beautiful ocean down there. So just, you know, keep, keep Adam on his toes. Make sure he's minding his manners down there, will you? Yeah, w- would he visit one of those places? I didn't know he'd visit one of those places. Oh, I didn't either. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll check that out. See, maybe he's doing. I know one thing. Uh, him and Rick, they're in the car there. You know, do a tremendous job here. You know, the star. Oh, yeah. That's who it is, Adam Bramley. You know, he does a. They do a tremendous. Uh, Rick drives it, and uh, uh, fifty degrees down here, fifty-five degrees. I went over to see them the other night. They had the heat on. No way. Now this yeah. now, oh, yeah. now Wally yeah. now, now this, this is a Michigan guy. Okay, this is a guy that started. Uh, this is a guy that started races at Sports Creek when it's been twenty below. Started races at Northville in the dead of winter. Okay, this is that, look at how Floridized he's become. Yeah, how was he in the? How was he in the? And when he was sitting in the bucket, he's a great starter. I don't know what kind of a driver he was, but he's a great starter. Nah, he, he he was he was a great starter. I I actually when I first started Hazel Park, he was starter. I can't remember who his driver was, but he's been a starter for as long as I know. Him, but great guy, great starter, and uh, certainly a good human. Well, Wally, listen, let's let's uh, let's get off Mr. Bromley. Let's get to you, my friend. Ten thousand career wins. Okay. How did how, listen? How did it feel to accomplish that task? That had to be a thrill. Yes, it was. You know, like like I think anybody that's won you know, any amount of races, like, you know, up in them numbers and stuff, you never ever believe that that's what's going to happen to you in your life. You just keep showing up every day or every night. And, and, uh, you know, if your health stays well and, and you get the opportunities, one thing, one thing, uh, about any one of us that have 10,000, the, 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 we've had numerous opportunities. So that's, you know, so that's why the club is so select because not many people get, that many drives or opportunities. So, you know, it, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice milestone, but you know what? I, like I said before, I, I got to get up the next morning and go back at it again. You know? Now, Wally leading up to your 10,000th career win, was it one of those things that you kind of thought about as it was going, or is it one of those that you took each win as they came? Well, what happened with this one in particular, like is compared to others or whatever, but they started, <laughs> You don't, you don't, I don't like to focus on that stuff personally. And uh, what happened was down here in Pompano, which was nice that they done it. You know, I'm not saying it wasn't a nice thing they done, but they started to do a countdown about 20 out, about 20 wins <laughs> out. So, <laughs> oh, good. I know what I felt like when, uh, when I was seeing my mug on the TV. So I can't imagine what my competition was saying when I wasn't around. <laughs> so, but I, I just, I just don't go for that. Like, you know, when the, listen, if you keep going to bat, you're going to get some hits, and that's the way the wins are too. So, and right now, like uh, over the last couple or three or four years, I've been getting, uh, you know, some some uh, real live, real live mounts, and that's what it's all about. Visiting with driver Wally Henny, leading uh, Wally Hennessy, leading driver at uh, the Isle Pompano. Wally, let's uh, let's talk about the early days of one Wally Hennessy. Tell us about how you got your start and uh, how you got your beginnings in the sport. Okay, yeah. Well, that that was pretty easy because I was I was ra- I was born right into a harness racing family on on Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, up in Canada, and uh, my father was tremendous like uh um he was a well-respected uh 
person number one and but then you know uh, his livelihood was in harness racing so it was easy for me to choose my profession what I was going to do because that's all I ever wanted to do and uh, that's where I got my start you know he taught me everything I I know and and you know and then I kind of went from there uh, I was a very slow learner <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at the start I thought I was oh boy I thought I was. I thought I knew it all, but it didn't take long to find out that I knew nothing. And then, uh, you know, just one thing kind of led to another. And then, uh, a few years racing in Atlantic Canada, I got the opportunity to come to. I had owners that gave me the opportunity to come to Florida when Pompano Park. It was in the mid '80s, and uh, believe me, when I came here, I was like a kid in a candy store. It was just. I, I was so. Oh, I was so nervous and, you know, and so intimidated. And it wasn't like I, it was my first time driving or anything because I, I had over 1,000 or 1,500 wins at that time. But I was I was very, very intimidated and, and nervous. And it was the who's who were harness racing. And then I just, from Papano, New York, and then that's my life, you know, and then a little bit of Grand Circuit in between. Now, Wally, uh, you've gotten a chance to drive some pretty impressive horses, but one that kind of sticks out to me anyway was the great money maker. What was it like to drive uh, to drive her? Well, I can just tell you this: I wasn't the only one that drove her. There was a few others that drove her, and we all know how blessed we were to to be associated with with a horse like that. There's, that's definitely a once in a lifetimer. And it's easy for me to say that I, I know that she's been the greatest. She, she did it all. And, uh, right from the, the, the original owners, uh, Carlisle Smith and the original trainer, Bill Andrews, uh, Phil Tuttle took care of her as a two and three year old. And, and, you know, she went pretty near undefeated as a three year old, uh, Jimmy Tactor, uh, and, and the moneymaker stable bought her midway through a three year old career. And, and they stuck with me, you know, throughout her whole career. And believe me, it was it was it was just unbelievable. It was it was something like like I don't think you'll ever see a horse do what Moneymaker never would do what Moneymaker done. Uh, she she won at standstill starts. She won a mile and three eighths. She won mile and quarters. She won an every size racetrack. Uh, she was just unbelievable. And the guys. The guys that I, like I was just the driver, eh? You know, that's all I did. I just drove her. And uh, Jimmy Tactor, uh, you know, probably one of the greatest trainers that ever lived, did a tremendous job. Connie's Venson showing her. She wasn't easy. She had big feet, big pie plate feet. Uh, Connie did a tremendous job showing. Uh, Bill Andrews he n- never gets near enough credit for what he what what he done with this mare, like. He he took. She was a big gangly two-year-old that could have could have easily been ruined as a two-year-old, but they took their time, and that and that's a lot. A lot of that goes towards the owners as well uh, back then. But anyway, you asked me about the ride, and that was it. And 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 you know, like you know, it's in black and white what she done. And uh, there's n- nobody went back and forth overseas, back and forth from uh, uh, over Europe, and then back to here and win races here, and then go back. No, no, horses can't do that. They just don't. She was phenomenal. Visiting with Wally Hennessy, uh, top driver at uh, the Isle at Pompano Park. Uh, Wally, let's uh, talk a little bit about Pompano Park. Obviously, you've been there since the early to mid-80s, and uh, you've seen a lot of changes uh, kind of take place uh, down in the racing down in South Florida. Um, where do you think the prospects are for Florida racing? I mean, I we hear decoupling constantly come up, and I think that's constantly a bullet that, you know, harness racing, I think, in general, is going to have to dodge in the upcoming years. But uh, what's what's it like down in Florida right now? as far as as far as that goes well you know mike here's the deal on that like i'm no expert on that stuff like i i, I kind of stick to my the backside, not not to the managerial side but but here's what i will tell you i was hearing them rumors in the 90s that pompano was closing when i came here in the mid 80s uh it was owned by the one of the giants uh, breeding farms uh, castleton farms owned Pompano uh, Park 
and uh, they were uh, they were trying to get the gambling and weren't, and and uh, that, there was talk then that it was closing. So every year, you know, you hear the same thing. Um, is it inevitable? That I'm not sure of. I hope not in my lifetime, but uh, I've been hearing them same rumors and whispers going on for for years. All I know is that uh, tonight at 7:20, Wally Hennessy's lining up behind the gate at Pompano. So, and uh, as long as they have racing in Pompano, this is where I'll be. That's I'll tell you what, that's a great attitude to have. You know what? Just uh, listen, we'll show up for work and we'll let the uh, every we'll let the you know, the politicians and the powers that be deal with that. That's that's the way I feel about it too. But listen, one final no, question before go. we that's let right. you go. One final question, yeah. Wally, before we let you go. Uh I've noticed that uh that Pompano's been uh, carting a lot of five eighths dashes as of late. Now, is there any kind of different driving strategy that you employ to the, the sprints as opposed to the typical mile? Do you remember I said earlier there a couple of minutes ago I was a slow learner? I still haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get that one down. So, so if, you're, if you're a handicapper and, and you see Wally in a 5'8 dash, take that into consideration. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get it figured out. I'm an aggressive driver anyway, and, but in a 5'8 dash, that puts everybody aggressive. So uh, I don't... It's it, it's listen. I, I think it's all right. You know, I think different distances are all right. But you know, I don't own them or train them. So, you know, uh, I I just drive them and I go to the gate. And if they say I'm going to go a mile and a quarter, that's what I'm going. Uh, the five H dashes. Some horses um, make more money going the dash than they would if they were going the mile. So it's good for some and not as good for others. You know, that's kind of the yeah. way I look at them. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Wally, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you, and uh, we'll see you in action at the 720 Eastern time tonight, my friend. Yeah, yeah. tune in, boys. You'll get some action tonight. I'll be, <laughs> All right, when thanks, Adam Wally. Says go, I'm, hey, when Adam says go, I'm going to take him serious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. All right, take care, guys. Yeah, bye. All right, that was <laughs> What a humble guy. What an awesome interview. Yeah. That was that was really that cool. Was, listen, I love it. When, when the starter says go, when Adam says go, <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> We're going. What a good cool stuff. Energy. But the, what, a, what a great stuff. career, yeah. Mike. I mean, good grief. 10,000 career wins. I mean, that puts Wally in very select company. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you, you know, what a modest individual he is. I mean, you know, he helped, you know, through Moneymaker's campaign, but, you know, he, he doesn't walk around with a big head on his shoulders. He, you know, he knows where he's been. He knows where he's going. And I'll tell you what, uh, what a career Wally Hennessy has had. So much more left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Trotting Association. Driver Brady Galliers is in the on-deck circle, plus Eric Abatello will join us as well. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. Mike Bozich here along with Mike Carter for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a wheelchair or scooter? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application. If eligible, you may receive funding. Again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer, driver, or owner? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2017 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2018 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through October 31st. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers, trainers, and owners. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org.
You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Beam brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. We're back on this edition of Host Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Trotting Association. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And Mike, we're about to bring on trainer driver Brady Galliers. And I'll tell you, speaking of careers that are kind of blossoming and taking off, uh, we got to see Brady on the homepage uh, this weekend as he guided RHP to a pretty big victory at uh, Miami Valley. That's right, and uh, Brady certainly is uh, one of those guys I like to call a youthful veteran. He's got a lot going on, but you know what? I think the sky's the limit for the straighter driver and owner, and also he will be uh, appearing tonight, I believe, on the uh, often pacing, not not the often pacing, catch driver show, yeah. right? They're, aren't they doing like no, a catch driver thing? Where, yep. Yeah, where he's going to be, I guess you could drive against Brady, and uh, Brady, I'm coming for you, buddy. I'm parking you out tonight <laughs> all night, all night long. Bring it. Brady, how you doing, buddy? Welcome to the program. Good. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Well, listen, you've got a lot going on uh, in the way of harness racing. Uh, obviously, you're, uh, I, like to, I like to call you guys like you youthful veterans because, you know, you've, you've been in the business kind of, you know, all your life. You, you do a lot of different things. You train, you drive. Um, but you know, and you're, and you're young, so you still got a, a lot of racing action, a lot of your career ahead of you, but still you've also got a lot of experience to boot. So let's start from day one. Tell us about how you got started in the business of harness racing. Yeah, well, I, uh, I got started. My, my grandparents would take me to the fairs and, and, and my parents, they, we would just go to the fairs, and I was always, I was always very, very interested in what was going on out there when they were racing. And obviously, I didn't know anything about it. And from then on, it just my grandparents kept taking me to different fairs, and we kept uh, kept meeting new people. And and finally, we uh, we jumped on board and got in with Bill Webb, and we uh, bought a couple horses. And from then on, it went. Yeah, Brady, obviously, uh, you know, you went to the track with your grandparents, kind of like I went with uh, my dad on a pretty consistent basis, except on the other side. Has it always been in the family, or is this something that just kind of generation to generation? No, this was a first-time thing. Uh, my grandparents, they they were actually more into, like, horse poles, but they would go to the fairs to watch the harness racing as well. But none of our family was ever – into the business like trained or drove or or owned or anything so we were the first one to to kind of set sail brady you started your training career in uh, 2013 you've already amassed more than one million dollars in uh, training earnings take us through like the early days of when you got started actually training back in in uh, 2012 2013 and uh, tell us how that's kind of evolved to today yeah, well, when I first got started, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a long, uh, a long journey, and it, it was difficult at first. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know half the things all these other guys knew. I, you know, I didn't know what to do, when to do it, whatever, and it, it was just really a learning process. And and even today, I'm always just trying to, you know, hear what other people do or what other people say to do, and just kind of have an open ear because I, again, I've, I've not been in this as long as everybody else has, but it was, it, it still, it still has been great. It still has been fun. You know, when it was, when I first started, I, I think I was a senior in high school and I was leaving school early at 1130 to go uh, jog my couple horses at the barn. And that was before I started driving at the paramutual tracks because I wasn't 18 yet. And then once I got enough uh, qualify and fair drives, I was going up to Northfield like every Thursday to get uh, to get some qualifiers. And, and finally, right when I turned 18, I got my P license. And then, uh, you know, I, I drove just a few of my own still at, at first. And then it kind of got in with a few people and was getting some drives. And then along with my parents and a few of my owners that I have, we you know, we've bought some and now I have a stable of 15. So. 
Now, Brady, before we kind of jump into a couple of horses uh, in the barn right now that are doing some good things, let's talk about Galliers Racing uh, a little bit. Uh, You've kind of hit the social media platform uh, running, you and your team. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about that and how it came about. Yeah, I got to I got to give that credit to Wendy, my girlfriend Wendy Ross. She she thought of it the one day and said, you know, we, we need to make this page. It'll it'll help the it'll help the sport, but most of all to help your, you know, your business and and stuff like that and and she's done a great job with that. Uh it's it's launched pretty good. The uh, people seem to seem to like it and I have a miniature pony that uh or miniature horse that that I think everybody knows about now and, and they love them and, and we'll dress them up for holidays and stuff like that and, and everything. And then, you know, my team that, that works for me, I have a, you know, a second trainer, a couple of riders and, and three grooms and, and they're awesome. They, uh, you know, they don't, they don't get as much, as much appreciation as they should because they, they get here in the morning every day and, and, you know, they do the dirty work. So hats off to them. Visiting with uh, owner, owner trainer driver Brady Galliers. Uh, Brady, let's talk a little bit about some of the horses that you've got going on. You said you have a, a head of uh, 15 horses uh, approximately that you're racing here in uh, 2019. Tell us about some of those horses and uh, maybe who we could watch out for. Yeah, well, I claimed one a couple weeks ago, the RHP, and lucky enough, he drew in for the final, and he, he actually won the other night. He won the the claiming series final for uh, 12,500 claimers. So he is, uh, he's definitely one to watch. He's like I said, I've had him one start and he was very good. He, uh, he goes to a series next week, next weekend that it's the first leg is a five eighths mile dash. And then the second leg is a mile. And then the final goes for uh, 25,000 and that's a mile and a quarter race so they're kind of switching it up it's a first time series for for uh miami valley to do this it's called the bill daly memorial and we entered him the other day for that that'll be next saturday and then uh we claimed sanitaire as well last weekend and he goes into the twenty thousand uh claimer final this weekend for thirty two thousand and he drew the four hole so i'm hoping uh hoping he could be good for us and and he seems to be uh be very well liked by the by the people right now he's i think uh six three for three this this year already so he's uh he's definitely performing and then uh a few other few other horses i got uh you know i got i claimed a couple mares uh a couple weeks ago I have mostly mostly claimers I have and then I also have a few trotters and stuff that we race and and stuff like that so I got yeah, uh, I got a couple of free claimers that were that are in the series as well so now, Brady, uh, obviously, uh, you, you know, you're just getting your career kind of off the ground over the past couple of years. And, you know, as, as a trainer or driver, obviously, there's always that one race that everybody wants to win. If if we were to ask you, you know, hey, Brady, what's one race that you for sure would love to either have a horse in or to win, what would that race be? What What was that last part you cut out? Sorry, my mute. <laughs> Sorry, my mute button got stuck there. Um, if if you could drive or train a horse up leading up to or being in a race or winning a specific race, what race would Brady Galliers like to be in or win? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've always been a fan of the Jug. Uh, that was that was like my first big race that I went to. You know, the big thing at the county fairs, everybody would always say, oh, you're going to the jug, you know, to Delaware Fairgrounds, uh, you know, third Thursday of September, blah, blah, blah. And that's from when I got into business, I feel like that was the biggest race that I knew about. And from, from, uh, from ever since I heard about it and ever since I started going, I, I thought, uh, I thought that race was awesome. So I, I would probably have to say the jug winning the jug would be great. All right. Well, listen, Brady, we certainly appreciate you joining us. And uh, obviously the key here throughout the next couple of days is you got to stay warm. You know, I'll tell you what, it was so cold here. We had to salt the hallway. So listen, (laughs) these are so lame. (laughs) Anyway, 
<laughs> Brady, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, once again, stay warm, buddy. And uh, real quick, if anybody wants to follow uh, follow you guys on social media and your social media platforms, wh- where can they go to do so? Uh, I, I have about all of it. I'm uh, Twitter, Facebook, everything. But uh, the Twitter handle is you you can either follow the stable page Galliers Racing or you can follow my uh my own page at Brady Galliers 23 but uh if if you want more information on the barn and stuff I would follow the stable page all right good stuff well best of luck to you my friend appreciate your time and uh give him heck over the next couple of years and decades all right thank you I'll I'll see you tonight on uh, the catch driver all right <laughs> see you later Brady <laughs> all right bye all right, How that cool. was uh, owner, trainer, driver, uh, Brady Galliers. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you know, Brady's uh, got to, like I said, I, I know I kind of run this phrase into the ground when I talk about guys like this, but youthful veterans. I mean, just guys and, you know, that know what they're doing, but still are young and have their career ahead of them, uh, most of their career ahead of them. That's, you know, it's, that's the phrase I like to use to describe these guys. You know, over a million dollars in five years at such a young age, not 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 doing too bad for himself, that's for sure. And I'll tell you what, uh, he drives smart. Uh, he does a lot of great things on the racetrack. And that's key, I think. You know, I've watched him drive in plenty of races over the last few months, Mike. And the key to him is he's very patient. Uh, you know, he tries not to take too many risks. And that's, you know, that's pretty huge. All right. Well, listen, we still got plenty left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Eric Abatello will be joining us here in just a few minutes. But, Mike, before we get to Eric, we did want to mention this at the beginning of the show, but uh, we'll mention it now. And uh, this happened last week. And, boy, what a shame. Uh, you know, renowned harness racing auctioneer, a guy that a lot of people knew, especially in the state of Ohio, Dean Beachy and his son, uh, Stevie Beachy, were, were tragically killed. Their lives tragically and senselessly taken uh, up in uh, a, uh, a restaurant uh, bar and uh, outside of Penn State. And uh, just on behalf of all of us here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, condolences to the family and the friends of Dean and Stevie Mike. Just a terrible, terrible thing. And uh, I'll tell you, my heart just broke. You, you know, Mike, these things happen. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it's the... It's the new norm, but these things seem to happen all the time now, okay? But, you know, when it happens to, you know, our extended family in harness racing, you know, man, that just hits too close to home. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Mike. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it breaks your heart. It's really sad, and, you know, I I, I hate it for those guys. I hate it for that entire family. They've had a ton of loss uh, over the past uh, week or so, and, you know, it's I can't even imagine what they're feeling right now. Yeah, so certainly on behalf of all of us here at Post Time with Mike and Mike, our heartfelt condolences out to the Beachy family. When we come back, it's Eric Abatello and plenty more. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America and the USTA. Harness Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. Attention all breeding funds! Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis. Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. 
Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the PacingForTheCure.org website. Once again, that's PacingForTheCure.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. Welcome back to this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich, and Mike, I tell you, the last couple of weeks uh, for us, anyway, have been a week of firsts uh, as far as having people on the program. Yeah, no question. And we're about to have another one. Driver Eric Abatello, leading driver at Freehold for uh, quite a long time. Also, one of the top drivers at the Meadowlands and wherever he goes is going to be joining us here in just a minute. Let's bring him in. Eric, listen, this is what caught my eye. And I, I misrepresented already. I said it was the 11th, but actually it's February 9th at Freehold. Correct. Dollar, hot dog, and soda day. And here's the cool thing. Eric Abatello is buying the first 50 hot dogs and sodas for fans in attendance. Also, one lucky fan will also receive an autographed whip signed by Eric. First race post time is 1230. Let me tell you what, Mike Carter, if he can get something for free, he's already on his way. <laughs> so he'll be setting up a tent out of freehold <laughs> two hours before the gates I'm open. But the, hot dogs. Absolutely. Well, listen, Eric, that's a, this is a great thing you're doing, my friend. What, uh, what kind of give you the idea to do this? Well, I think um, when you look at New Jersey, and a lot of people do follow New Jersey racing, but they might, in fact, be in Tom's River or in Bayonne or Woodbridge. So Freehold was kind enough to do a little special, and I figured, you know, I when I win a race at Freehold, whoever I see on the apron, I invite him into the winner's circle, no matter who it is. Um, so I just figured, let me buy the first 50 sodas and, and first 50 hot dogs, and I got some guys sent to me they're going to buy they're going to buy 10 themselves. So I might, might turn into a Coney Island uh, uh, hot dog eating contest here. So I might have to double it, actually. I'm, yep, I'm uh, what, putting it all together. <laughs> now, now, Eric, talk to us uh, kind of how you got to where you are today. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, we try to ask all of our first-timers, you know, how they became who they were today. But how did Eric Abatello become the guy he is today? Um, I always enjoyed the horses. I spent maybe before I was 18, a couple of years with the horses. And my father said, if you don't go to college, I'm going to throw you out of the house. So I had to go to college, which was a great thing. I went to a college, a Catholic university in Washington, D.C., was a uh, major in philosophy and business. And then subsequently followed up, I was a stockbroker and a financial planner in Philadelphia and in New York City. And then when I saved up enough money, I bought three or four horses and just started to race in the amateur races. was lucky enough to go with, with Joe Feraldo, Alan Schwartz, and a few others to race in Italy. I think it was Italy versus Germany versus France. And I said to myself, if I won the final in, in Europe, I was going to quit being a stockbroker and I was going to buy and train horses. So subsequently that's what happened so but i enjoy it two things i did when i want to when i want to to grow up i wanted to be you know a stockbroker my parents were 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 super and spending the money for college and then i was uh work work my butt off here with some great help so you know just you know just feel very very fortunate and and very very lucky now, the name Abatello is obviously very, very familiar with uh, harness racing fans, you know, uh, throughout the past 30, 40, or 50 years. Tell us a little bit about your roots in the sport. Yeah, I mean, my father, he grew up in Staten Island, New York, very poor. Um, he was working in a junkyard. Uh, and my uncle, Anthony, who subsequently passed a couple of years ago, he started training some horses. 
and he asked my father one or two days if he wanted to come over and help. And I think uh, my father just caught on quick to it and had a special gift. So I think he quit the junkyard quick. And then uh, at at that time, that was probably the height of the harness racing season, you know, in the 60s and 70s and such. Um, and he just started going from there. And he loved going to New York. He loved going to Yonkers. And uh, at the end, I think he was doing the, the, the Big M. And then he uh, retired, I think, about 58 years old. He's 83 now, and uh, he spent the winters down in Florida. So I started out early. My dad had a bunch of horses because there's not a lot of trainer drivers left. You know, you can just think of a handful of them. Most of them are drivers or trainers. So it's it's double the work but double the fun when you win as a driver and a trainer. Now, Eric, did you ever feel like you lived in, like, the shadow of your dad, or did you kind of do your own thing? Uh, sometimes my father says I don't take his advice enough, which is probably true. So I could be a little, <laughs> I, I, I could be a little stubborn, but I wanted to make the mistakes in the beginning on, on my own. Cause that's how you learn because I think work builds character. So, but, uh, yep. He's never helped me, um, as respects to buying a horse or, or financially like that. He just gave me and, ad, you know, advice and, and uh, in the first four years, I, I don't think I had anybody else's horses to train, and I just went to the qualifiers at Friel like like any other kid would do. And, uh, you know, just try to thank people for the drives, you know, thank the grooms, thank the little people, because I think it's the little people, you know, the grooms and the second trainers, people work in the kitchen, people work in the race office and the judges. You know, it's, uh, they're all pieces of of the puzzle, too, and most most definitely our fan base. We have to do something about that. Eric, it's funny you said that you don't listen to him enough. Uh, it sounded almost like an episode of uh, the Golden Girls where, you know, it's, it's we say, you know what, he's been driving for 20 years and all of a sudden he thinks he's better. No, I'm kidding, of course. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's cool that you guys have that kind of a relationship. Yeah, he's, yeah, my dad's good. I mean, when he comes back from Florida and stuff, everybody comes over and visits the barn because he's got stories with him and Buddy, Buddy Gilmore, Jimmy Marone Jr., Billy O'Donnell, and all, all the uh, guys. So he keeps in touch with them. As a matter of fact, it might have been last year or the year before, they did the last Roseville, they did the last Roseville Raceway reunion at the Big M, and that was something special. I think uh, – that was something that uh, he really enjoyed. Visiting with uh, top driver Eric Abatello. Now, Eric, you uh, have been doing a lot of doubleheaders lately, freehold during the day in the Meadowlands at night, and these are two tracks uh, with very extreme dynamics. I mean, you've got a half-mile track at freehold, which certainly favors speed, and then you've got a mile track at the Meadowlands, which at times, uh, you know, you don't want to really be close to the front end. Tell us a little bit about some of the different dynamics and some of the differences, at least in your eyes, driving at freehold versus driving at the Meadowlands and a lot of times on the same day. Yeah, sure. I mean, on a half-mile track, generally about 33 or 34% of the races are won on the front end. So, obviously, you have to be more aggressive on a half-mile track. And with uh, Freehold, I try to put myself in a spot to win, look at the horses the last four or five races, look at the form, and just try to go from there. And I've been driving there, I think, since 2005, and was the leading driver for seven or eight years. So, you know, you know, and I always ask the groom before you go on the track, how the horse do this week? And you ask the trainer how the horse was this week. I mean, sometimes they're completely wrong, but <laughs> but but, uh, but driving on a half, I think you have to be up close. And then at the Big M, I had a great year last year, and this year started off well. And that's a track, you know, you just need a little bit of a knack for and look at the bias. You know, sometimes the front at the at the Big M will win eight out of twelve races, and sometimes it'll lose eight out of twelve races. So you kind of look at the first couple races, the track condition, the wind, and the weather definitely plays a uh, part. And we kind of got lucky in New Jersey. I think that first subsidy, fingers crossed, could be passed today, which means six million for the Big M and one point six for freehold per year. So that's going to definitely maybe bring some owners and some breeders back into Jersey. Now, Eric, um, if if there's any race in the world, you've got a ton of races that you've won, but if there's any race in the world that you would want to win, what race would it be? I, I have to say it would probably be the Little Brown Jug. I mean, it seems to be the place where you have the largest crowd. It's kind of like a fair type 
background. I was there a couple of years back with a horse called Moonbeam. Uh, I had in in the jug. Unfortunately, he ate fib, which means his heart went out of sync in the final. So, so I was there two or three times. It seems like the atmosphere is great. And uh, no, I guess any big race you win. When I win a race, I always think of the owner when I cross the finish line. You know, to, to figure out how much money the 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 owner made because they're the backbone of the business. We have to keep them involved. Um, I know there was a story. I think of my owner Dave Offenberg has been with me for ten years. They had a good idea. I think it was in Australia where uh, the race, the owners are allowed to, winning owners are allowed to come into like a super box for 15 minutes after the race and get free drinks and free food. So that's kind of like an idea. I think we've got to get more owners in the stands. But with online and with everybody watching everything on TV, especially in the wintertime, it gets tough. Visiting with Eric Abatello. Eric, one final question before we let you go. Now, obviously, you, you've uh, been kind of, you know, fo- uh, focusing on the catch driving a little bit, but, you know, obviously, dabbling in training and, you know, but judging by some of your Facebook uh, posts, uh, maybe even uh, some ownership now as well. Is that kind of where the future lies for Eric Abatello? Well, we have 10 horses in, in the barn now. Um, and you know, it costs just as much to take care of a $10,000 horse as it does a $50,000 horse. So I just threw it out there prior to the sale. And I had about 10 people who who jumped on board just in like a two or three day period. Most some one guy called me from California and one guy called me from Las Vegas and a few local guys who know Roosevelt and the Yonkers from, from years back. So at the very least I have people, if I want to buy a horse, um, have about 10 partners. So to, to answer your question, my biggest thrill is winning a race with a horse that I train. So, you know, every horse is like a puzzle you have to figure out. So I'm going to do a little bit of both and with New Jersey and Pennsylvania with the, with the good money. I think it's a good time for some owners to, to jump in. And uh, there's a lot of good and a lot of great trainers out there. So, Maybe I could pick up another five horses. Maybe have a you know fifteen or so. That would probably be my limit. Good stuff. Well, listen, come on out on February ninth at Freehold and see uh, Eric Abatello for a free hot dog. He'll be buying the first fifty and uh, autographs and uh, you name it. And Eric, I think that's uh, pretty awesome of you. Listen, we got to do what we can to give butts and seats, and uh, we certainly appreciate what you do for the sport of harness racing, my friend. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Good luck. All right, that was Eric Abatello. And, uh, Mike, I know you'll be headed to Freehold that morning. Listen, I'll be not only will I be headed to Freehold, I'm bringing my appetite with me. I might not eat for days leading up to that event. <laughs> well, listen, we should bring the whole crew. That's one thing about the post time with Mike and my crew. We can eat. Listen, you put food in front of us. By golly, we'll be there. Well, no, there's a caveat free food. We're right. Free food. You put free food in front of us, we will be there. That's for sure. All right. Well, that was Eric Abatel. I don't know where this last hour has gone, but we just kind of, you know, it just kind of flew by as, uh, you know, we're trying to survive this um, this polar vortex. And Mike, one final one final question before we hit our final commercial break. What's the difference between weather and climate? Uh, Is this another one of your jokes? I don't know what. Listen, you, you can't weather a tree, but you can climb it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna take one final time out. When we come back, we'll wrap this thing up. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America and the USTA. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation 
and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Looking to bet on great racing from around the country and around the world? There's no better place than BetAmerica.com. But there's also no better time to join because right now we're offering a 100% sign-up bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Simply open a new account at BetAmerica, make your first deposit, and we'll add your bonus immediately. It's that easy. Sign up today at BetAmerica.com. You know, one thing that we don't do enough on this show, Mike, and uh, I think we got to start doing it, is we have to give some love to our uh, other half on the Bet America Radio Network, Jason Bean, because he promotes the daylights out of us on Twitter, and he's got a great thoroughbred show that's uh, daily on the Bet America Radio Network, so make sure you check it out. As a matter of fact, Mike, he's got uh, a segment coming up, I believe, uh, it's going to be playing uh, throughout the month of February, talking about gamblers' biggest scores. I can't wait to hear some of that stuff, Mike, because those are great stories. Yeah, they are. They, those are going to be some really awesome stories to hear. In fact, we should probably get him on this program. He got to call some harness races back out at Century Downs uh, about a week or so ago, and uh, it'd be really cool to kind of hear what he had to say about that. Yeah, Century Downs. And, uh, did he call a couple at Pompano when he was down there filling yeah. in oh, yeah. at the Calder? He did? He called, his, he called his first race back, actually, at Pompano. Okay. Okay. Well, see, that's good stuff. So, uh, our, But in, in, nevertheless, make sure you listen to uh, Jason Beam's program uh, on the barn here, the Better America Radio Network, and uh, make sure you check it out because it's good, good stuff. Even even the harness, you know, I, I know sometimes there's like a little bit of a divide, Mike, between harness and, and uh, thoroughbred people, but uh, you know what? It's still good stuff. There's still plenty in it for the harness folks, so make sure you check it out uh, on a daily basis. That's uh, Jason Beam on the barn. Well, Mike, I think uh, I'm going to roll the clothes because I think we've just <laughs> rifled through about everything we got to rifle through, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we'll see everybody back here next week. Uh, we're going to try – maybe we'll try to get our man Dave Little on to talk about his uh, Twitter capades, Mike, and uh, we'll see what he's uh, got to say about the Twitter feed. We'll see everybody next week at 1030 in the morning. We'll have another great show of Post Time with Mike and Mike. Check out the Handicappers Corner this Saturday and then on Monday once again for Mike Bozich's Western Fair and Gucci Bob Northfield Park Selection. See everybody next week. Can't stay here I know who 